All right, open if you would to Jeremiah chapter 5. Today, uh, Lord willing, we'll read 5 and 6, and um, uh, it's a bit of a continuing theme, and so uh, at the risk of being redundant, a lot of 6 we'll kind of read uh, fairly brushstrokish, if you will, but I um, uh, just want to kind of warn you of that. Everybody got your hand in, in Jeremiah chapter 5? Awesome. Okay, put your finger there. Now flip over to Matthew chapter 16. Starting in verse 13. It says, When Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, He asked His disciples, saying, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? Now, you know, you, you know from any kind of cursory reading of the Gospels, one of the big things uh, when Jesus was on earth was sort of, who is this guy, right? You know, they would ask him, are you, are, are you the Messiah? And, you know, he, you know, he kind of wanted them to kind of glean that. Uh, but, you know, the Jewish leaders didn't like that idea. And anyway, so there's a lot of dialogue about who was the identity of Jesus? And, and so there's obviously a lot of buzz around town, if you will, about who is this guy? And Jesus said, so what are people saying? And uh, so they said, some say John the Baptist. Uh, some say Elijah. And others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And so I just want to point out just from the beginning, you know, this guy Jeremiah, I mean, these were Jewish people that are answering Jesus' question. And they would have studied their Old Testament history. But it's fascinating to me that there's something, when they saw Jesus walking and talking and interacting with other people, there were many that would say, you know, this guy kind of reminds me of Jeremiah, right? And so that's kind of the character that I want us to kind of, in our minds, keep in mind. This guy, Jeremiah, was, a, was an awesome guy. Awesome and faithful. He was faithful. He wasn't necessarily successful by any worldly measure. Not a, not a powerful evangelist. Not, you know, people, <laughs> people largely ignored him. Uh, people didn't do what he said. People didn't heed his warnings. But he was faithful. So faithful that when Jesus showed up, they thought, this guy reminds me of Jeremiah. So I always loved that, um, that idea. So back to Jeremiah chapter 5. So the context here is, uh, again, Jeremiah prophesied from the time of, of Josiah through uh, the end of the time of uh, the nation of Judah when they were captured uh, by the Babylonians in 586 B.C. And uh, so Jeremiah basically watches. He gets a front row seat for the demise of the nation of Judah. And uh, it's, pretty, um, it's pretty sobering words. And so as we read through these, I want us to keep in mind, number one, God is supremely motivated by love. God is supremely motivated by love. You can read a book like Jeremiah. On one hand, you could say, wow, God's bringing judgment. And on the other hand, you could say, wow, judgment must come because God is just. But this book is all about warning, 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 warning. Why does God warn his people? Because of love. And so God is supremely motivated by love. Um, number two, and I want to just mention this briefly. We can look to the moral decline of Judah as we read these pages and I think we can't help but maybe saying this feels like America is that fair is that honest 
And as, I, as we do that, I want us to kind of, if I can kind of just maybe unwind this a little bit. We've talked about this in the past, but when we read the Scripture, uh, I always think of it like observation, interpretation, application is how I was taught, right? Observation, what does it say? Interpretation, what does it mean? Application, what does it mean to me? Okay, we could read Ephesians chapter 5, husbands love your wives. What's it say? Husbands love your wives. What's it mean? Well, Paul told the Ephesian guys, the guys in the church of Ephesus, that they should love their wives. That's what it means. What's it mean to me? If it's good enough for them, it's probably good enough for me. I should probably love my wife, like Christ loved the church, right? What's it mean? What does it say? What does it mean? What does it mean to me? And I think that jump from what does it mean to what does it mean to me, sometimes we have to be a little bit careful with that. Is that fair? So we can read a book like Jeremiah and say, what does it say? It says the nation of Judah was going down and Jeremiah is warning them. What does that mean? Well, it means God warns his people. God doesn't like uh, to bring destruction, but he has to because he's just and, and you know, all of the heart of God in the midst of that. What does it mean to me? Well, America's going down, right? And so sometimes, and that's, not, that's what I'm saying, we've got to be careful not to necessarily say that right? Do we know America's going down? No, we don't know that. And I'll give you an example. Some, some, I heard one uh, last week, uh, and I've heard this a few times now, and this is why I want to address it, right? Um, you know, uh, the COVID vaccine is the mark of the beast. Anybody heard that? Right? Maybe it is, maybe it's not. Who knows? I don't. Personally, I don't think it is, Right? I think there's some other things that um, seem to happen before that. But we got to be careful not to draw too much application as we read the Scripture. We need to stay close to the Scripture and bring those principles into our lives as they relate to us personally and socially. Does that make sense? And so I say that... and. That came, to my, that came to me last week as somebody asked me that, and I thought, yeah, I probably need to address that. Is that fair? So, chapter 5, uh, God tells Jeremiah, Run to and fro through the streets of Jerusalem, and, and see now and know, and seek in her open places if you can find a man. Can you imagine this? A man. Is there anyone who executes judgment, who seeks the truth, and I will pardon her? Right? And I love this from the very get-go, we see the heart of God, and that is God, you know, God's dealing with the nation of Judah, but God loves the heart of individuals, and God deals with us as individuals, and there's always a remnant, God always deals with the individuals. You may recall uh, when God told Abraham that he was going to destroy Sodom. Remember that whole thing that Abraham has this dialogue with, with uh, well, it's, it was basically Jesus, um, he says, uh, he says, I'm going to destroy uh, Sodom. And Abraham says, well, wait a minute, if there are 50 people there, would you destroy it? No. Okay, if there are 45 people, would you destroy it? No, 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 I'm good. If there are 40, you know, and he goes, and Abraham's like, each time he gets a little more apologetic. Well, okay, I'm just going to ask you one last time. He gets down to 10. If there were 10 righteous people in Sodom, would you destroy it? He said, no. And I think deep down, Abraham thought, well, my my nephew Lot has been there, probably influencing the world for good there for a little while. Surely there's ten. You know, I just did my part to save Sodom as he watches it, you know, uh, burn up. And so God is always, you know, here 
you know, and I think if we're to take this literally, he's saying, look for, see if you can find one guy. See if you can find one guy. And I love that because there's always a remnant, at least in the, as you see God working in nations and with people, uh, there's always a remnant that he's looking for. He said, though they say, as the Lord lives, surely they swear falsely. And so there's another thing that's going on in, in Judah and their culture at the time. And that is a lot of false prophecy. A lot of people saying, as the Lord lives, I swear by God. And then they just say their own thing, right? We've got to be very careful that if we speak the words of God, we're speaking the words of God. That's the pages of Scripture. Not our opinion, not what we think might ought to happen or we think is going to happen or anything like that. But um, uh, we don't say as the Lord lives uh, flippantly. Oh Lord, are not your eyes on the truth? You've stricken them, but they've not grieved. You've consumed them, but they've refused to receive correction. They've made their faces harder than rock. They have refused to return. Now I want to address this for a minute. You know, um, God is disciplining Judah. God is disciplining His children. God sometimes disciplines His children. As a loving father disciplines His earthly children, right? Or a loving mother, for that matter. And, um, and that's a principle. God allows us sometimes to go through discipline. And I see over... I heard it, I heard it this morning. And honestly, I've, I've experienced this many, many, many times times and so again i want to try to reset our brains a little bit and that is sometimes god is disciplining me bad things are happening and that's where i say you've got to be careful about the application right bad things are happening to me as, as i define them or hard times we'll say okay therefore god is punishing me right why is god punishing me because he's mad at me okay Now, I want to be sensitive to anybody that's ever felt that way, because the reality is, uh, lest you think that's you, I won't ask for a show of hands, but that's been all of us at some point or another. And so, God is not, like, mad at us if we've repented, if we've ever done something wrong, because here's the other thing, we often go back to that thing we did wrong back whenever it was, and we feel like God is hanging on to that, right? Right? God is not mad at us if we're, if, we're, if we're repentant. Look here. He says, Oh Lord, are not your eyes on the truth? You've stricken them. You have, you have disciplined these guys, but they've not grieved. You've consumed them, but they've refused to receive correction. They've made their faces harder than rock. They have refused to return. That's the kind of person that brings God's wrath. See this? There's a difference between God's wrath and God's discipline. God's discipline is like a loving father, right? And when the person, and, and it's, it's all about how we respond to that discipline. Does that mean we'll never, if we respond, oh Lord, I, I repent, I'm sorry, does that mean we'll never go through a hard time again? No, it doesn't, doesn't mean that at all. It might mean that we have other situations. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 11 says, Now no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Discipline is always painful. Nobody likes discipline. Nevertheless, afterward, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. So, when we find ourselves going through hard times, right? We should, like we talked about last week, like the disciples said, could it be me? You know, when he says, one of you is going to betray me. 
Could it be me? So if we go through hard times, it may just be because life sometimes brings hard times, right? Jesus said, in this world, you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. Sometimes we just have tribulation, period. Sometimes we go through hard times because it's God's discipline. And we need to ask, Lord, is there anything I need to repent of? And if he reveals to our hearts, yeah, there's something you need to repent of, then we repent of it. And then when we repent of it, these verses no longer apply to us, right? Because God's not mad at us. God doesn't stay mad at us. God doesn't hold a grudge. God's not bitter, right? It's, it's not God's wrath. It's God's discipline. Therefore, I said, verse 4, Surely these are the poor. They are foolish. They do, not un- they do not know the way of the Lord, the judgment of their God. I'll go to the great men and speak to them, for they have, not, they have known the way of the Lord, the judgment of their God. But they've altogether broken the yoke and burst the bonds. So Jeremiah's kind of, you know, from an earthly standpoint, he's like, maybe these people don't get it because they're poor and, you know, ignorant. And they just don't know better. I'm going to go to the aristocrats. And, and sure enough, he still couldn't find one. And so... Um, you know, our response to the Lord, our receptiveness to the Lord has nothing to do with our social position or anything like that. We all know that. It's a matter of the heart. He says, therefore, verse 6, a lion from the forest shall slay them. A wolf of the deserts shall destroy them. A leopard will watch over their cities. Everyone who goes out from there shall be torn in pieces because their transgressions are many. Their backslidings have increased. So the therefore right? Therefore, I always ask, what's it there for? The therefore here is, therefore, as a result of your refusal to repent, as a result of your hardness of heart, the enemy's going to come. The enemy's going to come. He's going to bring destruction. It's going to be like a wild animal, like a lion, like a leopard, and um, it's going to be fierce. Verse 7, how shall I pardon you for this? Your children have forsaken me and sworn by those that are not gods when I had fed them to the full. That's underlined in my Bible. When I had fed them to the full, then they committed adultery and assembled themselves by troops in the harlot's houses. They were like well-fed, lusty stallions. Everyone neighed after his neighbor's wife. And look at this, when I had fed them to the full. So even though God is full of grace and mercy, and he is, and he is, his justice is real. He cannot ignore deliberate, willful, ongoing sin. We can't live a life of, re- of deliberately walking in sin and selfishness and expect him to bless us. But please notice this, when I had fed them to the full. Now, the reality is we live in a very prosperous nation at a very prosperous time. And we are all pretty well fed. You know, even in uncertain days, we were talking about this uh, a day or two ago, even in uncertain times, you know, we might all go through times where, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of talk in the, in the workforce right now. You know, there's, a lot, there's been a lot of unemployment as a result of the virus. There's been a lot of this and that, right? But I don't know that, by and large, I don't want to be sensitive, right? But we don't often feel like we're not well-fed, right? That's a pretty basic fundamental need uh, to be fed. 
Um, but often, really, we as modern-day American Christians, if you will, we're fed to the full. Now, what happens when we're fed to the full? What happens when we experience time of prosperity? What do we tend to get? Sloppy, complacent, fat and sassy, spiritually. I heard one guy recently, he said, you know, prosperity is one of the most dangerous things we can experience spiritually. Prosperity is one of the most dangerous things we can experience spiritually, and I think that's true. We have to be very careful. And so oftentimes, and again, my, my brain goes back to the time of the judges, right? There's a time of God's blessing. You know, they go through all these cycles. Uh, uh, there's several cycles throughout the book of Judges where, you know, God would bless his people and then they sort of get complacent and sloppy and then God would bring discipline. And when the discipline is usually a form of some, you know, some enemy nation coming in and kind of uh, oppressing them. And then they'd be oppressed for a while. And then they cry out to God, oh God, please uh, deliver us. We forgot we got ourselves into this place and God would bring forgiveness and then God would bring blessing. And then guess what? Sloppiness, fat and sassy, complacency, and the cycle just repeats over and over again. And so often, don't we experience that in our lives? I believe with all my heart, the, break, the, the fundamental break of that cycle is thankfulness. Is thankfulness. When God blesses us, again, I like what we heard earlier. You know, when, when God does a cool thing, we don't take credit for it, Right? When God blesses us spiritually and cool things happen, we don't take credit for it. We thank Him for it. When God blesses us materially, we don't think it's because of my strong right arm, as the, as the Scripture says. We thank Him for it. It's not because we're smart. It's because God chose to bless us. And we need to be thankful people. And when we're thankful when God blesses us, then I think that helps us to be on guard against spiritual sloppiness. And what did these guys do when they, were, when they were full? They lined up at harlots' houses like well-fed stallions. What a horrible picture. Shall I not punish them for these things, says the Lord? And shall I not avenge myself, myself on such a nation as this? So, of course, God, this kind of behavior calls for punishment. That's different than discipline. Punishment, God's wrath is different than discipline. And so we have to keep that in mind. Verse 10, go up on her walls and destroy, but do not make a complete end. Take away her branches, for they are not the Lord's. And so this is God's uh, really command to the destroyers. God's, in a sense, it sounds like he's speaking to the Babylonians, uh, and even his enemies are subject to him. But when they come, he says, he says, don't make a complete end, right? Even... You know, remember when Satan and God were talking about uh, Job, right? God says, you can do this, but that's as far as you can go, right? Even Satan is subject to God. And our enemies are subject to God. In this case, hey, uh, you know, Babylon, go up and destroy them. But don't make a complete end. Just take away her branches, for they are not the Lord's. Now, when I think of branches, my brain goes to... John chapter 15, right? John chapter 15, starting in verse 1, says this. I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser, Jesus speaking. 
Every branch in me that that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Now, pruning. Imagine you're a branch, right? You're a branch on a grapevine, right? And we know this from botany. Just looking for the word. Uh, nat, no. Botany. We learned this from botany, right? You prune a tree or a bush or a plant to make it grow better, to make it more abundant, to make it more fruitful. And so uh, sometimes a, a good vine, a, I mean, I'm sorry, a good branch still gets pruned. Does that mean God's mad at you? No. might just mean you're being pruned. He said, you're already clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. It's like that song we sang earlier. I hold on to you, and you hold on to me. But he always holds on tighter. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, and you are the branches. He who abides in me, and I in him, bears much fruit for without me you can do nothing if anyone does not abide in me he's cast out as a branch and is withered and they gather them and throw them into the fire and they are burned does that mean we're saved by works and if you don't do the works uh you're thrown out in the fire and burned not in the least not in the least but as children of god we are surrendered to jesus that means we're abiding in the vine and that means we need to hang there and sometimes that means um, in, in God's uh, desire for us to bear more fruit, sometimes we get pruned. And that's sometimes how it works. Verse 11, back in Jeremiah 5. For the house of Israel and the house of Judah have dealt very treacherously with me, says the Lord. But they've dealt very treacherously with me. Notice after all God did for them, just think about the history of the Jewish people, Right? Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Jacob's 12 sons, and all of their descendants. And then they go down into Egypt to follow, you know, after, during the time of the famine because Joseph was already down there. And all that, they, that God did to bless him there. And then God brought him out of, the, out of Egypt, out of slavery. And then God took care of him, even though they were whining for 40 years. God took care of him in the desert. And then God brought him into the promised land. Gave them this amazing promised land, a land flowing with milk and honey. God conquered their enemies. God took care of them. God did all of this. God then brought them during the time of the judges, took care of them every time they floundered. And then God gives them the kings. And then God gives them David as the example of, you know, of, the, of the greatest king of the Old Testament. And then you know, God just blessed him and blessed him and blessed him and blessed him. And what do they do in response to that? They've dealt very treacherously with me, he says, with me. You know, our, love, our relationship with God is a love relationship, right? It's supremely motivated by His love. And it's held together, thank God, by His love. But we have a part in that. And I was, I was hearing somebody talk uh, this week. You know, so often, in a love, let's say, in a, you know, in a husband-wife relationship or something like that, Love is when I 
value that person and attend to the needs of that person, right? But there's a fine line there because sometimes in the relationship, that person blesses me, right? And I like that person because she takes good care of me, right? And so sometimes it's a kind of a subtle line, right? Do I, do I love that person just because, right? Do I want the best for her just because? Or do I want the best for her so she'll say thank you to me, right? It's a fine line. But imagine our relationship with God, right? You've dealt very treacherously with me. You know, God has emotions, right? Uh, Ephesians chapter 4 tells us not to grieve the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit can be grieved by my attitudes, by my behavior, by my sin. I don't want to do that. And so after all that God has done to bless me, so it's, it's you know, the, how we would read it is, after all the nation of Judah has been blessed by God, and now they deal with Him treacherously, shame on them. But the application I have to ask myself, after all that God has done for me, Do I love God so I won't go to hell when I die? Is that why I love God? Do I love God because He pays my mortgage? Do I love God because I'm just thankful for all that He's done and who He is? And I just, I'm just, my, my, my love and my, all the energy of love is directed toward him that's that's called worship right for who he is and for most of us i think if we would agree it's a little tough to make that jump from i love god for what he does for me to jump from that point to i love god because of who he is and i think we need to encourage we need to probably be encouraged to make that jump to love god for who he is right we don't want to grieve him Imagine if I had an attitude that made him sad. Oh, I don't want to do that, right? None of us want to do that. So he said, after all these things, shall I not punish them for these things? Shall I not avenge themselves? Uh, and shall I not avenge myself on such a nation as this? I'm sorry, I read the wrong verse. For the house of Israel and Judah have dealt very treacherously with me, says the Lord. I don't want to deal very treacherously with him. They've lied about the Lord and said, it's not he, neither will evil come upon us, nor shall we see the sword or famine, and the prophets become wind, for the word is not in them, thus shall it be done to them. And so this was a common th another common theme that we'll read throughout the book of Jeremiah, basically, and that is false prophets are prophesying peace and security. Hey, everything is good. I'm okay. You're okay, right? Uh, if it feels good, you just go ahead and do it. That's okay, because, you know... Um, destruction's not coming, Jeremiah doesn't know what he's talking about, everything's good, it's going to continue to be good, and we're just going to be all good. That feels good, and it sounds good, right? Even in COVID, right? You know, it's gone on long enough now that, you know, we're not sure what to think, but I remember thinking, you know, last, you know, last spring, you know, we have shutdowns, 
And it seemed like most of what we heard toward the latter half of 2020 is when everything's going get, to get what? Back to what? Normal. And we long for the days that we'll get back to normal. And if we do X, Y, Z, whatever it is the experts tell us to do today, then the deal is, it's kind of like a, an unofficial handshake we have with, with the powers that be. If we do that thing, then, we'll, then the benefit to us is that we'll get back to normal. Well, maybe God doesn't want us to get back to normal. Maybe God wants to wake us up. But along the way, we need to at least recognize historically there was a time when the false prophets in the nation of Judah said, no, everything's peaceful. There's no consequence. We're all good. I mean, doesn't that sound like kind of the American ideal, right? We're all good. Everybody's 401k is secure. Don't you worry. No Babylonians. No Babylonians on the horizon, right? So we all know that that only applies to uh, the nation of Judah, pre-Babylonian empire, right? No. Second Timothy chapter 4. Verse 1 through 5. Paul, speaking or writing a letter to a young pastor named Timothy, told him these words. He said, I charge you, therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Now, the observation of that, what it says is, preach the word. The interpretation, what it means is, Paul told Timothy to preach the word. What it means to me is, if it's good enough for Timothy, maybe I should preach the word be ready in season and out of season convince rebuke exhort with all long suffering and teaching check this out for the time will come and i believe that time is here for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine but according to their own desires because they have itching ears will heap up for themselves teachers and they'll turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables but you be watchful in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. Paul told Timothy that there will be a day when people have itching ears. And so they're just going to go out and find uh, that which tickles their ears, which kind of scratches their itch, if you will. And, and that message usually is all about peace and prosperity, right? So we've got to be careful. I mean, I'm all about peace. I love peace. And prosperity is not, not all bad either, Right? I like being well-fed, and we like all those things, but that's not our highest ideal, right? And so uh, we got to be careful to preach the Word, to speak the truth, and sometimes the truth makes us a little bit uncomfortable, and, uh, but that's okay because it might be God's warning for us. Verse 14, he goes on, Therefore, thus says the Lord God of hosts, because you speak this word, behold, I'll make my words in your mouth fire. And this people would, and it shall devour them. Behold, I will bring a nation against you from afar, O house of Israel, says the Lord. It's a mighty nation. He's talking about the Babylonians. It's an ancient nation, a nation whose nation 
whose language you do not know, nor can you understand what they say. Their quivers like an open tomb. They're full of they're all mighty men, and they shall eat up your harvest and your bread, which your sons and daughters should eat. They shall eat up your flocks and your herds. They shall eat up your vines and your fig trees. They shall destroy your fortified cities in which you trust with the sword. So the Babylonians are going to come and they're going to be uh, swift. Verse 18, Nevertheless, in those days, says the Lord, I'll not make a complete end of you. Amazingly, God's mercy uh, poured out here. And it'll, it'll be when you say, why does the Lord God do all these things to us? Then you shall answer them, just as you have forsaken me and served foreign gods in your land, so you shall serve aliens in the land that is not yours. And so I want you to catch this from the history, right? God blesses Israel, and later the two nations, Israel and Judah, they forsake God, they trade him in on uh, idols, right? So now they got foreign idols, they got Baal, they got Molech, they got all these foreign deities uh, that the surrounding nations worshiped, and they thought they'd rather worship those things than God. And God basically says, all right, number one, that's not cool, so destruction is coming. But one of the ways God deals with them is he takes them to Babylon. The remnant who survive uh, will largely be carried off to Babylon. What do we know about Babylon in the ancient world? It's the Mecca. Maybe that's a bad... It's the, it's the, um, it's the epicenter of pagan idol worship. So in a sense, God is saying, tell you what, you guys love idols so much? You're going to Babylon where you'll worship idols there. And why does he do that? So they'll realize what the end of that game is, right? And it's interesting, if you trace Israel's history back, after that 70 years in Babylon, I mean, they had issues. When, they, when Jesus came on earth, right, the Pharisees had issues. They had religiosity. They had all kinds of other stuff. They had problems. But they never, as a nation, really wrestled with pagan idol worship ever again. Isn't that fascinating? You know, remember in the church in Corinth, there was a guy who uh, was involved in a uh, pretty nasty uh, bit of immorality, we'll say. Paul tells the church of Corinth to deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of of his flesh right sometimes God lets us you know that thing that you really want that you know it's your flesh you know it's nothing but selfishness sometimes God will let you have that thing so you'll realize it's it's poisonous it's toxic right remember when the Israelites were whining in the desert for meat oh we're tired of manna that's one of my favorite Bible stories I love this Bible story Oh, we're tired of manna. Manna, 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 manna. Keith Green used to always talk about, you know, all the various, you know, they could make manna cotti or banana bread or, uh, you know, that story. But anyway, um, uh, yeah, we're just tired of all this manna. We want meat. And then Moses gets in on the whining thing. And God, where are you going to bring me? You've got me. I, I'm responsible for all these people. Here I am out in the desert. I don't see any cows anywhere. God says, I'll bring meat. Oh, yeah, I don't see them. Where are they at? And then, you know the story, quail come in like crazy, right? And 
he who gathered least gathered 10 homers. I love that. And ten, I forget what it is, but it's like 250 gallons, right? The guy that gathered the, 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 the slacker in the group uh, gathered like 250 gallons or bushels or something, some insane number of meat, right? And the Bible tells us that it was coming out of their nostrils. Now, after that, think anybody asked for, anybody whined about meat ever again? God kind of took care of that. Gave them what they wanted, right? That guy in Corinth, right? He got restored, right? Because he was turned over for, quote, the destruction of his flesh. The people go off to Babylon. To, you want idol worship? You can have idol worship. You can have it in Babylon. And you'll realize what that's all about. And you won't struggle with that again. So how does that apply to me? Whenever I, like, want that thing, whatever that thing is, maybe it's a relationship, maybe it's a, maybe it's a material thing, whatever it is, if it's so consuming that it becomes an idol, be careful. Probably the worst thing that could happen to you is if God, it would be for God to give it to you. And he might. So be very careful. Verse 20, declare this in the house of Jacob and proclaim it in Judah, saying, Hear this now, O foolish people without understanding, who have eyes and see not, who have ears and hear not. Do, not, do you not fear me, says the Lord? Will you not tremble at my presence, who have placed the sand as the bound of the sea by a perpetual decree that it cannot pass beyond it, and though its waves toss to and fro, that yet they cannot prevail? Though they roar, yet it cannot pass, they cannot pass over it. So what's he saying here? He's saying, you know what? How about instead of like being complacent when I fed you to the full, how about if you're just thankful? And how about if you have an, a, a, a bit of an awe of a respect for who I am? Oh, by the way, don't you tremble at my presence? I'm the one that placed the sand as the boundary of the sea. And the waves can come up, but they can only go so far. I'm the one that did that. Don't we want to worship a God like that? The one that set all the stars in place. The one that knows the number of hairs on our head. The, no, the one that really knows that thing that concerns us deeply. That's the God we serve. That's the God we worship. That's the God that takes care of us. And yet, we don't worship and serve Him only because He takes care of us. We appreciate that He takes care of us. But we remain in awe and wonder and amazing respect for who He is. I'll just finish chapter 5 today in case anybody's nervous. Did I say 5 and 6 earlier? Yeah, I did. I won't ask for show of hands who was sweating. But this people has a defiant and rebellious heart. They've revolted and departed. They do not say in their heart, let us now fear the Lord our God who gives rain, both the former and the latter in its season. He reserves for us the appointed weeks of the harvest. Your iniquities have turned these things away and your sins have withheld good from you. Here's the other piece of it, right? When we don't have that appreciation for God, that awesome respect for Him, right? Our own sin, our own sin restricts Him from blessing us, right? 
I mean, we know this as parents, right? As parents, when a child is in deliberate, willful disobedience, we can't reward that behavior, right? And God's like, you're not thankful. You're not, uh, you're not respecting uh, who I am as God. And I'm the one that gives you the former and the latter rain. I'm the one that gives you the harvest. But because of your sin, these things have been withheld from you. For among my people are found wicked men. They lie in wait as one who sets snares. They set a trap. They catch men as a cage is full of birds. So their houses are full of deceit. Therefore, they have become great and grown rich. And even as these people do this, their works are contagious. Their works are contagious. So again, we've got to be careful about our influence on others, that it needs to be for good, and we need to be careful about those who influence us. One of the most difficult lines to draw, and I think we need to be deliberate to do it, and I can tell you I've drawn some hard lines over the years. One of the most deliberate lines to draw is who influences me. And if I'm responsible for my family, to the extent that I'm responsible for, for I mean, they all, have, they all have their own will, right? But to the extent that I'm responsible for my family, I take that responsibility seriously. And who influences me and my family is very important. These people, these people that have no regard for God, these people that serve idols, uh, these people that don't have an appreciation or respect for who He is, they lie in wait as one who sets snares. They set a trap. They catch men. Be careful. Be careful. They've grown fat. They're sleek. Yes, they surpass the deeds of the wicked. They do not plead the cause, the cause of the fatherless. They pro- yet they prosper. And the, right, and the right of the needy, they do not defend. Shall I not punish them for these things, says the Lord? Shall I not avenge myself on such a nation as this? I've got to be just sooner or later. Verse 30, an, an astonishing and horrible thing is, has been committed in the land. The prophets prophesy falsely, and the priests rule by their own power. And my people love to have it so. But what will you do in the end? That's a powerful question. Wow. So, you know, the prophets and the priests, they're doing their own thing, they're ruling by their own power, they're prophesying lies. And the people love it. Man, they're back to normal there in the nation of Judah right before the Babylonians come. They are back to normal. Life is good. Except for this guy, Jeremiah. Nobody's listening to him anyway. And God would say, but what will you do in the end? What a powerful question. So these are hard words, right? These are hard words of uh, an example of Um, a nation of people who rejected the Lord. Rejecting the Lord is a bad idea. Just a very bad idea. And yet none of us ever really, I mean, we're here in church, right? So ask for a show of hands, raise your hand if you think rejecting the Lord is a good idea or a bad idea, right? Just humor me. Who thinks it's a bad idea? Rejecting the Lord. Very good, right? So we're in church, so we're not really worried about that. But did these people wake up one day and say, I think I'm going to reject the Lord? 
I don't think they did. I think they were serving the Lord. They were appreciating the Lord. Yeah, thanks, Lord. You're the one that brought us out of Egypt. You, you know, you take care of us. You brought us into this land of milk and honey. You, you thumped Jericho. You did all that cool stuff. You crossed the, you know, you part of the Red Sea, and and you know, you did all this amazing stuff, and you've blessed us. And oh wow. The Ammonites, they got a pretty cool thing going over here. The Moabites, they got a pretty cool thing going over here, right? The Philistines, they got all kinds of cool things. They got like rats for their gods. That's what I'm talking about, right? The next thing you know, yeah, God, God's all right. I got nothing against God. Hey, man, whatever works for you. Does this sound familiar? Hey, 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 whatever works for you, that's, that's, that's your thing, man. That's okay. You want to worship God? That's fine. I'm going to worship rats. And next thing you know, we just get a little more comfortable with that whole thing. Next thing you know, we find ourselves experiencing the discipline of the Lord. And all he's just trying to do is say, Hello, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anybody hear my voice... All I really want is fellowship with my children. Is that too much for God to ask? It's all I really want, it's fellowship with my children. I just want to come in and dine with him and he with me. But no, you, you won't have that. You're bristling. You're hardening your heart. And just note, I want, I want us to see this, that this is a multi-step process that we're talking about to get to these pages. And God shows us, I believe, all the steps so that at any one of those steps, we can turn around and say, Lord, I repent, and the whole process is undone. And we can go back to, a, to an alternative existence of one that appreciates the Lord. You know, as Habakkuk said, whether or not there's fruit on the vine or, you know, or not, I'm going to appreciate you. I'm going to respect you. I'm going to worship you. I know who you are. I know what you've done for me. And for us, we know who he is and we know what he's done for us. So we have the privilege of living in fellowship with him. What a great life. Whether it's normal in America or not. Right? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you're so good to us. You've always been so good to us. You're amazing. You've always been amazing. Lord, help us just to be fully devoted to you. You tell us that the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show yourself strong on behalf of those whose hearts are fully committed to you. So, Lord, we want to be those people. Help us to be those people, Lord. Please, Keep short accounts with us. Help us to be very, very uh, receptive, even maybe during those times where you have to get our attention a little bit. Lord, help us to be quick to repent, quick to acknowledge you and acknowledge your goodness and to walk in thankfulness. And so, Lord, help us to just be able to celebrate the victory of life with you and help all that we say and do bring glory and honor to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Everybody have an awesome, awesome week.